2: hosted by two girls no ginger because today is a very very special episode of killing time we have the iconic holly (laughs) madison with us you're the first person that we've had in studio as a guest
3: oh thank you i feel special
4: yeah we're very (laughs) very excited about this lex how are you doing I'm doing great. I'm so excited. I've been a longtime fan. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Huge fan of your podcast. Huge fan of you. I'm a
3: fan of you guys, too.
4: Like, we're just really excited because we did. We just got our studio up and running, and you're the first person we're having in Person. So we're so stoked. Thank yeah. you.
3: It's so cute in here.
4: Thanks. I'm glad you like it. So Holly, I met you so long ago. You were one yeah, of the I first, was pregnant. first
2: uh, guests on Lady Gang back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I remember. It was fun. It was crazy. I feel like you came on as a guest not even knowing what our show was about, really. Yeah, it was really new.
3: I listened to it, but it was really new.
2: Yeah, it was so fun. (laughs) And then we didn't know that you actually listened to the first degree, so we're going to have, like, an On the Stand. I have one ready. I'm prepared. (laughs) I'm so freaking excited. I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro, and then we can, like, go into On the Stand and the whole thing. So everybody knows who Holly Madison is. Like, if you have been alive in the past 20 20 years, years, you know who she is. She graced our TV on The Girls Next Door, um, iconic TV show. (laughs) Honestly, listening to your podcast too recently and with the the music from
4: the beginning, it just brings me back. It really does. It's so (laughs) insane. Also, the pictures you guys post on your Instagram that are like throwbacks... It's incredible. And I know I've heard on the podcast where everyone talks about how many photos everyone took. It's such an amazing time capsule you guys have.
3: It really is. Like I have crates and crates of scrapbooks. It's It's like receipts for days. And I started when I started the Instagram for the podcast, at first I didn't want to do it because it's just like impossible to grow on Instagram these days. And I was like, oh, another thing. But I'm actually having a lot of fun with it.
4: (laughs) You guys are doing a great job. It's really immersive because it really does remind you. I mean, things were so different in a lot of ways, not in other ways, but it's just really fun to see all, everything you're wearing because honestly, a lot of that stuff's come back too. It really is. It's oh my, full my god, the circle! circle. They look like contemporary photos sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is it, or, you know whatever. Have you
2: kept any of the clothes you had back in the day?
3: Oh yeah. I have so many items. I don't have every single thing. I threw out a lot of the casual stuff just cause it doesn't hold yep. up that well, but I have like a full archive. I did a YouTube video on it kind of going <sighs> through some of the stuff. I have like almost everything I wore on the show.
2: Amazing. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like now is the time to start wearing it
4: again too. Yeah, it is
2: like incorporating like small little things. I'm thinking about getting my belly button re-pierced. I'm like, yeah, maybe be it's fun. the time to like bring <laughs> it back
4: do it. I don't know. We keep getting new piercings every year. That is something we do. We really do. So whatever.
2: (laughs) So your next project that you're working on is the Playboy Murders. This is a show on ID. It's airing January 23rd on Mondays at 10, 9 central. And we're so excited about this. We want to talk to you about it a little bit. Um, because the
4: first case in the show we actually did for the first episode of First first Degree, degree, which is crazy, was Jasmine Fury. And that's the first episode you guys are covering. Yeah. And I'm sure that just kind of lays the groundwork for what's to come because that's such a harrowing case. It really is. It
3: really is. The details of it are so frightening. And it's just the kind of thing that could really happen to anybody. She was in a toxic relationship. You know, one of my friends knew her and they used to discuss their relationships together, but even she didn't know how dangerous it could become.
4: No one thinks their dramatic, screaming, anger-prone boyfriend is going to kill them. I mean, yeah. especially in Young Love, there's all this drama, people getting out of cars or when they're in a fight and leaving. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you never think someone's going to hurt you yeah. in one of those relationships. It's just... It's crazy
3: yeah it's really scary that,
4: it is that case was so crazy so what how did you get tied to the show like
2: what has your creative process kind of been through it because it's such a specific show that I yeah. think <laughs> is perfect for you to be involved in um especially you know with you kind of coming out and speaking out against a lot of things that were happening at the mansion mm-hmm. um I think this is just a great fit for you
3: yeah the production company approached me about it and when I first heard the title the playboy murders I was like no I can't do another playboy thing like yeah at my limit. I can't handle it. But they sent over a deck, which was like a breakdown of the cases they were going to cover. And as I read through it, I was like, holy shit, I would watch this. Mm -hmm. Like I had not heard of so many of the cases. And I was somebody who thought I knew everything about Playboy history and what happened to all the playmates and so many of these cases I hadn't even heard of. And there were so many details that surprised me. So I definitely wanted to be involved from there.
2: And even with the Jasmine Fiore case, I don't think that we knew that was connected
3: to Playboy, did we, when we were doing it? I think we
4: did. She was working in Vegas, like, maybe as a Playboy kind of proxy.
3: Yeah, at the Playboy Club and – or at least at the pool at the Palms, I know for sure. Because I talked to um, somebody who was the bunny mother there at the time. And she also worked at the Playboy golf events, which Mm. I used to go to those. So I'm sure we crossed paths and I just never knew.
2: That's so crazy. And with Mm -hmm. any of these cases, like, did you – meet anybody personally or is it more of telling of a story from you know kind of your perspective connected to playboy in general
3: definitely telling the story i didn't meet anyone jasmine was probably the closest i came i'm sure we crossed paths many times and i just didn't know but a lot of these stories take place over so many different decades there's some from the 70s from the 90s there's a case where um the killer just got sentenced last week oh so really current too Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when we're researching, I'm like, I hadn't heard about so many of these cases either. Even the one that we did for the First Degree episode, episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so crazy. There's so much darkness and Mm -hmm. crazy shit that's
4: tied to the brand. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, though, you mentioned a lot of these cases span decades and they happen in the 90s or, you know, the early 2000s or 2000s or 2010s. But there is one theme that I noticed that's pervasive and it's sort of... There is this sort of disregard for women to some degree. I mean, Stacy Arthur mm-hmm. was what we covered this week, yeah. which is on our feed yesterday. I mean, you see how unsupported she was, you know, by the brand in her time of, you know, peril. It, I mean, is that sort of a theme you notice amongst... The other episodes too?
3: Yeah, definitely. And that case in particular was really surprising to me. And that was one of the first ones that caught my attention because I just had no clue that Playboy was ever having the Playmates speak to fans on a 1-900 number. That just seemed very off-brand to me. And it ended up putting her in a life-threatening situation and it had fatal consequences.
4: It is crazy because Playboy always was untouchable, trying to be elegant. Mm -hmm. And 900 numbers were sort of um, seedy, especially in the 90s. It's like sort of um, the same thing as like, you know, advertisements in the back of certain magazines, right? Like it just seems not Playboy. It seems more Hustler to me. But yeah, Yeah, I was surprised too by that.
3: Yeah, I was. I mean, nothing wrong with talking on a sex line if that's what you want to do, but it definitely seemed off brand. Because when people think of a one-nine hundred number, I think Playboy was trying to make it sound like, oh no, it's not a sex line, like you just talk to fans, but come on, what are people going to expect? In the nineties, yeah. a one-nine hundred number was thought of as a sex line.
4: Well, there's also no accountability, right? So in the nineties, there's no star six nine, there's no caller ID. So if someone is being perverted, well, or and I'm sure they're not reporting it the way that you would these sure. days. Yeah. Right. So it's like there's no Yeah, it was really a bad idea Yeah, like for these stunning women gracing magazines that people can become obsessed with to be talking to regular people from
2: anywhere. I mean, yeah, and I was going to say with just the playmates in general, it's like you guys were kind of this like untouchable, like on a pedestal, nobody could ever kind of reach you sort of a thing. So for it to be where you could just like chat somebody up that is just like the grounds for breeding of stalking and obsession totally. and all that kind of
4: shit
3: yeah there's definitely a teachable moment there i think for sure Oof.
4: okay well i can't wait to watch all of them i know i got a sneak peek mm-hmm. of one of them you did yes i didn't sorry i mm-hmm. forgot oh, to no. forward it to you from WID. <laughs> <laughs> okay
2: well when we come back uh we've got some bitching to do
1: please rise court is now session all rise Call the first witness. How do you plead? Guilty or not guilty?
2: Okay, so welcome to On The Stand. I'm so excited that you have an On The Stand yes i'm ready we're gonna do it (laughs) but if you're listening on the stand every week we bring a person place or thing to the stand that we're either loving or hating that week we have a healthy discussion vote if it's guilty or not guilty bring it to instagram you guys vote if it's guilty or not guilty and then we see if we're like on par with everybody else's thoughts or if we're just
4: fucking crazy sometimes i get very surprised by the results i know i'm like (laughs) i know how everyone feels about this
3: like everybody loves a tuna sandwich right completely wrong (laughs) completely wrong. Um, Would you like to go first? Yes. Okay. Okay. What I want to put on the stand is something I really hate, and that's compact car spaces. I don't understand why they exist. And for everybody out there, I don't know how common these are all over the country and all over the world, but in LA, especially like in Beverly Hills and the west side of LA, they're everywhere. And there will be places you go where I swear to God, as an SUV driver, there is nowhere for me to park because every single parking space is labeled compact. I don't understand why they exist. Like, was it supposed to be incentive for people to buy smaller cars? Like, was that the idea? I don't know. Like, why not just make... Big Normal car spaces and
2: like maybe have like three less. Yeah, like it's not making that much of a difference. No, I don't. Yeah. think. Yeah,
3: no, it's insanity. I, I drive. Agree.
2: I drive a jeep, and Jared, my fiance, drives it most of the time because I love just you know chilling, going on being Instagram. on Instagram <laughs> while you're, he's driving you. But he will fit that jeep into every single compact space. Like that's he, amazing. He will go in with
3: Revenge like of the Jeep two yes.
2: inches, and he's like, "Not my fault." And then I have to like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Squeeze myself, like, kind of through the side
3: of the car. But, yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand what the motivation is. I understand if somebody was like laying out all the parking spaces and then you get to the last spot and maybe there's not enough room. So I'm going to label that compact because not everybody's going to be able to fit in. But no, they will label every single space compact and it drives me up the wall. This is not realistic. No. It's not the way anybody lives. I don't understand it.
4: It's blasphemous. We need it's to guilty. M- we need to
3: move to suburbia. It is guilty.
4: <laughs> that's, that's the only option. That is the only option.
2: <laughs> you have like a compact car. Yes, you can so, scooch on in all those spaces. Well, here at
4: our studio, for example, this place was built in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So we have a little garage here, and it is the tiniest. Like it's the one you parked in front of. Yeah, that built my car. My car has always fit in there because yeah. I drive. I like little cars. I'm I drive the um, the i3. It's like a little roller mm-hmm. skate. It's like <laughs> a tiny little nerdy. Like it looks like a microwave. So mine fits in there. That being said, though, I don't like compact spaces. Like because no one parks right and you're always jammed. I'm going guilty for sure.
2: People are pig parking, as yeah. Larry David says, where it's like <laughs> you're like halfway into the space and then the other person's half, and then they're yeah. three fourths away, and then now there's no compact spaces anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. just normal spaces. Yes, guilty, guilty,
3: guilty so, so all around.
2: Um, okay, I'm gonna go next. Great. I am putting on the stand the little Playboy bunny stickers that Ooh. we would get <laughs> when we would tan. Okay. Back in the day. Like you'd go into the tanning bed. They, I mean, there was options. There was a palm tree. There was the Playboy bunny sticker, heart, heart, heart. whatever. Um, and then like you would wear it. I would wear it as like a badge of honor when I was like in seventh grade because I'm like, <laughs> I'm cool. I get to go to a tanning bed kind of a thing.
4: I've heard you ladies talk about that, I think, on the podcast, maybe. Just the
3: Playboy Bunny in general? In the
4: tan, in regards to tanning, maybe. It was just Wait, like a did quick you, mention. Did you
2: guys do the t- the Playboy Bunny stickers or no?
3: I didn't. And we didn't like have them at the mansion, which I'm really shocked. I know. So shocked we, too. i too. Because there were tanning beds there and we used them. And I'm actually surprised we didn't like request them because I knew they existed. Like, I'm shocked that wasn't a thing, thinking back. But the weird thing is, is every once in a while, I'll go to a tanning salon in Vegas still, and they still offer those. It's still a thing. Dude. Honestly,
4: that's so
2: nostalgic. I wish they would bring it back. I mean, I bet that they do, but... This, they need to bring them to spray tanning beds or maybe I just need to buy them on Amazon because I am kind of into it the same way that I'm into re-piercing my belly button. Yeah, it's the ops. Like I'm really embracing my Y2K <laughs> yeah. like teenage self because I'm probably just like really terrified to age and I'm just like trying to hold on to anything. Yeah, But I'm like, those are some things that I feel like I could do. You do it with a spray tan, you're not hurting your skin, like, but you get to have a little... It's maybe fun. I don't do a playboy bunny. Maybe I do a heart or something yeah. or a new symbol.
4: Like something, something maybe like, what is it? The witch one, the pentagram, The pentagram. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Or some like ghost summoning. S- yeah. Something fucked up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Make your
3: own. That's so exciting. I love that. That. Wait, Let's
4: like find one in a spell book. <laughs> I was going to say, so you can sell demons. First degree tanning stickers. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> God, yes.
2: Um, I think it's not guilty. I'm like, I think maybe it, it needs to be brought back. For the not summer guilty. of 2023 as a fad, like as a micro trend, they're calling it yeah. now.
3: And just
4: like have terms. it be a thing. Yeah, not guilty.
3: Not guilty unless you're under 18 and getting the Playboy Bunny. No yeah. offense, but I'm oh like, my God. where are your parents? Yeah,
4: <laughs> that's true.
3: I was doing it under 18.
4: My parents had but no idea what I, they don't know. They've never known. They've never known. <laughs> I had my tongue pierced in high school. That's crazy. Disgusting. Truly disgusting. But my family had no idea. That's how little, that's how, that's how elusive I was
2: in high school. You didn't even talk to them. Barely. <laughs> they didn't talk to me either. Okay. What are you
4: putting on the sand? Okay. So mine is controversial. Love it. And I even don't know how I feel about it, but I feel nostalgic for it. But then also there's an inconvenience. I kind of miss body glitter. <gasps> I had body glitter on New Year's Eve. I know. We used it. And we had like hair gems on New Year's Eve. But I kind of miss, like, I remember having like some some powder puff thing with shimmer on it. A mm. big one. Like growing up that you just do your whole thing. And there was like a scented dust with it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, like I candy. kind of miss feeling that beautiful. Like, have you ever felt like a glisteny angel? Only when you've done that.
2: That's what I... I, So for New Year's Eve, we went out and I bought a body glitter spray from Uh Amazon. I've never felt younger in my life.
3: That is so cute. I love that. And you could do it in your
2: hair. You could do it on your clothes. You could do it on all your skin. And I'm like, again, this is like the... It's like the Y2K things we're bringing back that I'm like, makes me feel young enough. Not too young. And I don't think creepy... The Playboy bunny sticker girls might be creepy, be, but body
4: glitter I think be it's okay. Creepy though, like I don't think women are creepy I don't unless think there's
3: anything creepy like glitter. Unless they're
4: obsessed with something, <laughs> <laughs> women, you know. But like men, women don't organically just give off creepy vibes if they're standing on a corner. No, generally not. Mm-hmm. Unless they're doing something devious, we can pick up on that. But I don't know, body glitter feels nostalgic. Like I'm, I'm craving those like times when I was really excited to be at a nightclub. Like excited wow. to go to a school dance. Haven't okay. felt like that in ten years, at least. I love body glitter. Me too. Have you guys
3: ever been to Portofino Tan in Beverly Hills? Not mm-hmm. to bring it back to tanning beds, no, but I will if <laughs> but it's going to make me do feel like that. A spray tan, and they can put a glitter in it, and they have all these different shades of glitter. Although it's probably not as glisteny as like an actual body Dude, glitter that you do would like use gold. They have golds, they have whites, they have a purple. We should
4: go. Gold would be so cool, if, like nice if you wanted like a really deep. It just gives you a little bit
3: of like a pop. I love. Wait, a purple pop? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Little
2: alien
4: pop? (laughs) Heck yeah. I love it. Okay, we're going.
3: We're going. All right. So
4: body glitter, not guilty. So not guilty. Not
3: guilty at all. Perfectly innocent.
4: I love this.
2: Okay, when we come back, we're diving in.
4: visit the realreal.com and use code first at checkout for 20% off terms apply
1: true crime rewind. yeah it's rewind time
2: okay so We've gone through your show. Mm-hmm. Now we've been obsessively listening to your podcast. Girls Next you. Level. It is so fucking good. Thanks. You guys do such a good job. You're and Bridget's chemistry together is <laughs>
3: it's great. We have a lot of fun well, with it. Well, you
4: guys are trauma bonded.
3: Yeah. I think so for sure. Like yeah. When I
4: hear about how much you both went through together, and then living in that environment under that roof, and the politics of what you navigated. You will she will be your friend for life. I yeah. think you guys have such a beautiful friendship because to come out on the other side of that as two like stable, wonderful women who are good friends, like that could have really fucked anyone up, to oh, be honest. God. Like yeah, you guys are sure. so strong and Thanks. and still so nice, which is Thank such you. a refreshing <laughs> well, listening to her, I mean, she just sounds amazing like the nicest person. That yeah. Exists. She's really sweet for yeah. sure. Have you guys always been close?
2: Like since the mansion or did you guys reconnect to do the podcast or what has your
3: friendship been like? We've always been in touch. Like we ne- weren't necessarily hanging out in person all the time because right. I was in Vegas a lot, but we, we, never not been in touch it's always been a thing
2: yeah your relationship is just like so great yeah thanks. and then you went to the mansion before she did
3: yeah i was there um i moved in maybe about nine months before she started coming
2: out with the group yeah and then you've talked about recently how you're not neurotypical yeah and you were talking about how the mansion was really um Attractive to you in a way because you felt like it could be a place that you could build community and you could Mm -hmm. have these connections with people that you were struggling to make in regular life. Yeah. Can you talk a
3: little bit about that, like going into the mansion and what you were kind of expecting? Yeah, for sure. Well, I started going up there, going to parties, and then I got invited to come up on the weekends for like their buffet dinner and movie, which was like a small group, like maybe. 30 to 40 people would go to these pool parties and like dinner and a movie. And it just really felt like a community and it felt almost like wholesome in a way. Like, yeah, you knew this was the place that put out the magazines with nude people, but it didn't feel sketchy at all. Yeah, And I know people don't usually believe that when I say it, but it's true. (laughs) It felt like a community and I was brand new to LA. I had just dropped out of college and was working at a restaurant and I'd made some friends, but they also were people from out of town who'd kind of given up on L.A. and gone back home, and I was at a point where I needed a place to live, and I thought it would just be a great idea to move into the mansion, and ended up just getting in totally over my head.
4: But watching it, in hindsight, it also doesn't look sketchy. It looks homey. Like, Mm -hmm. they did a really... Whatever, you know how... You know, when you go to places like The Grove or The Americana, we've learned in Disneyland, we Mm -hmm. learn that there's, like, psychological aspects of how those places are built to make us feel a certain way... And the mansion sort of, at least from my perspective watching, had that quality where it's like it wasn't this like cold, brutalist mansion. It was homey. And like I can understand it looks so attractive to like settle in there. There Yeah, it seemed like it was just like a big sleepover for a bunch of girls that were all mm -hmm. friends. When it didn't look cold and empty, it looked like there were reading nooks and books and like it looked like fun. And it looked like a fun place to live, to be honest. Like the rooms didn't look like – Like barracks, right? They had personality. Mm -hmm. Like, I can understand as a 20 something getting there and being like, this is amazing. Yeah. It just
3: felt like the destination. Yeah. Like I remember I would come to the pool parties and you know, after the pool parties, they'd have dinner and a movie. So I would be leaving and waiting at the front door for Valet to bring my car up and it would be getting dark out and you would just see like the upstairs windows. You'd see like all the photos lining the hallway and it's just like this warm glow coming from inside and it just looked so cozy. Like it just mm. looked like a place you'd want to live mm-hmm. rather than going back to your an apartment yeah <laughs> oh
2: god well and especially if it's like you're struggling in la mm-hmm. you're like trying to like get your bearings
3: something like that
4: it's like oh uh,
3: yeah like, it really felt like a community for sure
4: well and just given the prestige of the brand too yeah. i mean it's also as exciting as it is i can imagine it was really intimidating you know and yeah. like hard to just the politics the more i hear about what you went through and the competitive nature of of like the pecking orders that existed. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot to navigate emotionally.
3: Yeah. It was really crazy. And when you arrived, nobody ever like broke down the rules for you. You just kind of had to stumble around and figure it out. Trial and error. You're like (laughs) touching
4: like electric fences to Mm -hmm. see like how to Did you ever like accidentally
2: break a rule in the beginning and learn the hard way for anything?
3: Um, I don't know if I accidentally broke a rule. I remember sometimes I would sit in a place I wasn't supposed to sit because there was a definite hierarchy as far as like where people would sit at the dinner table or sit in the limo. Like I sat in the wrong place in the limo once and made an enemy out of that. So it was just like (laughs) little things like that would turn into big drama or, you know, I was driving a really beat up car in college and this other girlfriend who had got kicked out before I moved in, Heff had been leasing a car for her and she couldn't keep up the car payments, So it got repossessed. And when the car came back on the property, some of the secretaries were like, well, we should offer Holly that car because she's driving this really beat up, like probably embarrassed to have on the property car. So I accepted. And it wasn't like my style. It was like this big Escalade that was on like these giant tires and like lifted. I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. about not being able <laughs> to fit so in the small, compact car space. I like... know. So it wasn't my style, but I was so grateful to be driving like this new, comfortable car. Yeah. But all the other girls got so mad at me because when the playmate who had initially got this car, she had went out and got all these customizations put on it, which had cost half a lot of money and he wasn't doing that for anybody else. So even though that car wasn't their style either, they were all super mad because I had this car that like cost a little bit more than theirs. Mm -hmm. So it was just like you earned resentment without even trying. Yeah, (laughs) It was weird. I can't even
2: imagine being around all of those women and having, it's just like this, like vague kind of competition going Mm -hmm. around and like unspoken sort of things. Like that has just got to be so confusing to navigate, especially when you're first moving in there. Well, yeah, for sure. With the
4: stakes being what they are. That's what I think about a lot when I listen to your podcast. It's like, I think about the stakes and although you have talked about, he, he said at one point that he wasn't going to put girlfriends in the magazine, Mm -hmm. but in the past he had, right? So it's like everyone's after fame and everyone's after this or just, A place in Hef's life, and as you're kind of getting that, just by Hef liking you the most, I'm sure you were a target. You know, I think about I think about that. I was listening to those episodes with these things happening at dinner, and you having to go out with these women, and I'm just like, that sounds so hard. That sounds really hard.
3: Yeah, I was a target because I was a homebody. Yeah, like at first yeah. they
4: loved that because none
3: of them wanted to like sit next to Hef at the – they didn't even want to go to the buffet dinner. So they loved it that I was doing that because they thought that took kind of heat off of them. Yeah. But then Hef started using it. So if somebody else was staying out a little bit too late, why can't you just be good like Holly? And then it was like they yes. all turned on me when he started using I, that. like, I was like, like, oh really,
2: going to ask you about that because I heard you talking in your podcast about that. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, my God, that's such – like manipulative, so manipulative. Mm-hmm. It probably makes you feel so horrible. Cause you're like, I'm just being myself. Yeah. You can't win. <laughs> you're like, I can't change what I'm doing. I'm like actually not trying to like, you know, be a part of all of this kind of shit. Yeah. Well, it's and you're
4: getting it from both sides because all the aspects of the mansion are coercive. Mm-hmm. So you have all of these mechanisms in place to make you more reliant and vying for those, that spot, But then everyone's also against you. It's like you're fighting two kind of forces at the same time. I just think that like it wasn't a social experiment, but like looking back on Girls Next Door now, like do you kind of see it that way? I feel like that a little
3: bit because I feel like I kind of moved in. As far as being one of Hef's girlfriends, I was kind of there during like the best of times and worst of times. Best of times because we got a TV show out of it. But worst of times because the first three years I moved there before the TV show, it was just a nightmare. And – I felt like right when I moved in, he kind of reached a place where he'd been out of his marriage for several years and had had all these girlfriends and was loving the publicity as being the guy with seven girlfriends. But he noticed that when he would put them in the magazine, they leave right after. And I feel like I arrived just at the wrong time as far as him starting to feel like, okay, what can I do to like finesse this and control this more? Like, what can I do to make people stick around longer give them enough so that they stay but not enough so that they have any confidence like how can I I felt I felt like I was kind of the target of that experiment like the target of his boredom or the target of him trying to turn it into like the next step of whatever
2: and I want to know like your first impressions of Hef and because obviously he seems like a manipulator seemed like he was a manipulator maybe a little bit of a narcissist maybe some like I don't know some of those sort of qualities and obviously those are very hard to detect when you first meet somebody Mm -hmm. like that's something that you kind of learn throughout time. Once you start getting to know somebody, like what were the first um, impressions of him?
3: My first impressions of half. I mean, I think just hearing about him through society, you think he's like this controversial sketchy character, but then when you start going to the mansion, you realize at least according to everybody who surrounds him and what you see of him During those social interactions, you think, oh, he's not that at all. And, you know, everybody loves a contrast story. Everybody loves – seeing something oh that's not it at all that's not it's not how the media portrays him he's really like the most generous host and like the best friend and he's really like a romantic at heart and the way life was kind of situated at the mansion it reminds me of like louis the 14th like everything revolved around him everybody who stayed on the guest list stayed on the guest list because they were the most devoted most sycophantic i mean plenty of nice people too but Everybody just worshipped him and just thought he was the best guy and the best host. And that was all I was seeing. I was seeing this, you know, creative genius who would built all this. And he just seemed like the most fascinating person. That's so crazy. Yeah.
4: It's so crazy. And when I listened to the podcast, one of the most profound things that you said, an anecdote you shared that – I keep thinking about was when you talked about, I don't remember which episode, but you talked about how you were depressed Mm -hmm. and you wanted to go to therapy. And he was like, Mm. no, they're just going to tell you to leave me that you're not happy here. And then finally he agreed. And, but it was a therapist he he knew or a psychiatrist who would prescribe based on like maybe his desires, you know, is that, true and like looking back on that now that feels that's so so coercive and and controlling and dangerous
3: yeah, it's really crazy. I was having a talk with him one night and I was just like at the point where I was in tears because what I was trying to do was say I wanted to work while I was still there because and I was saying to him, I'm like, you're not going to be around forever. And and then he was yelling at me like, well, what's wrong with spending a few years of your life with me? Like you'd always turn it around like a guilty thing. Oh, yeah. But he didn't want me to work while I was there and I wanted to work. I wanted to go out on auditions and do things. And I'm like, but, you know, what am I going to do later and things like that? And I told him I was really depressed and I wanted to go to therapy. He goes, well, I'm not a fan of you going to a therapist because they're just going to tell you to leave me. I think you should talk to Mary about it. His secretary. So I talked to Mary about it. And eventually I was allowed to go see a therapist. But it was somebody that like Hef's doctor referred. So, you know, it was somebody within the network. It was network. in the bubble. The doctor that mm-hmm. was uh, giving him all the quaaludes yeah. probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and then so I go to the therapist. And this was right before we started filming the show. And he said, well, you're just stressed out because of this upcoming TV show. So I'm going to put you on an antidepressant. Oh so that was, that was where that went. Can we talk about his fake crying? Oh, my God. The fake crying, you guys. It was so bad. Bad because it was so obvious and it was something that even in the moment, <laughs> even when I was buying into like being in love with him and thinking he was a great person, like I m- still knew he was fake crying. Like I couldn't even fool myself out of Were that. Were
2: there tears coming out or was it just like the... <laughs> Not really. It was
3: like really bad acting, yeah. really bad crocodile tears. But it would always happen at a moment where you just didn't know what to do because this whole situation is like the emperor's new clothes. You don't want to piss him off. Yeah. You don't want to... Like I can't just sit there and be like, bro, why are you fake crying? Like that would have never... <laughs> flow and that would have been like an uproar so you're kind of just stopped in your tracks because you don't know what to do because this old man is like crying at you but you can't call him out and i remember even not long after kendra moved in she was talking to bridge at nine she goes so he goes into my room and he starts fake crying <laughs> just like dumbfounded, and none of us know, knew what to do. Like we all recognized it that he was doing it, but it was just yeah. something that kind of stopped you dead in your tracks because you had no tools. Like to this is ma- too weird. It's that. like my
4: dad fake crying at me or well, my mom. Like mm-hmm. it, I'd be like, "You're not really crying," but it <laughs> so also just obvious.
3: goes to show
1: yeah. that
4: men. I always think since so I've been a child, I think that I'm gonna feel different when I'm older. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show that like it doesn't matter what age a man is, they all do this shit. <laughs> they really do. What yeah, cry. Crazy they're just fucking babies. Well, yeah. <laughs> they're and just like they'll do whatever. So to, he would like <laughs> mitigate yeah. a situation. He was
2: doing this obviously in way like in situations that he was probably back up against the wall and he was like trying to manipulate you or control you in some sense. Yeah, right? if he
3: wanted to just shut down an argument or
4: something.
2: Yeah. He just goes <laughs> Yeah. It's like, and I can like pick, I can visualize that so perfectly and it's so gross. Mm-hmm. It's so cringy. <laughs> well,
4: no one's going to be like, they're there. Like we just want us to stop Yeah, whatever we have to do. Exactly. <laughs> oh my
2: God. I also want to talk about the fact that you didn't sign an NDA because I think yeah. that that is one of the craziest things ever as why women who have signed. I know many, exactly why you didn't want him to,
3: why didn't really? want to. What
2: is the reason? Cause it's like, obviously we've all signed many contracts, in yeah. our professional lives And it's kind of baseline hearing that for like the playboy mansion and with Hugh Hefner, I'm like, that is the craziest Mm -hmm. thing. That would be the first person I would be like, to even walk into the mansion, you would think that you'd have to sign an NDA.
3: Yeah, well, employees did, but girlfriends never did, or any woman that, you know, came into the house. And my theory on why that is, is he was so greedy about getting so many people to come up into the bedroom with him. Like, he would bring women home from the clubs, you know, whatever. And if he would have had to stop a woman or have his security or somebody stop a woman at any point and be like, hey, can you sign this? That would give someone pause. Ugh. No matter how fucked yeah. up they are, they're going to be like, wait, what am I getting into wait never mind and he doesn't it's want anything standing kill. in the way oh. it's a buzz kill yeah
2: holy shit
3: like he'd, he would rather have people going and talking all kinds of shit and back then like there wasn't social media people didn't have the voices they do now yeah. like it was easy for him he had spies in the publishing industry so anytime somebody was like trying to shop around a book or something kill it. usually it would get shut down or once it came out it just wouldn't do anything so it wouldn't get the press
2: Well, and that, yeah, that's so crazy because like you do look back and there's kind of this sense of, there there isn't really a negative connotation once you start learning about what Mm -hmm. was happening. Obviously, yes. But like as an outsider kind of looking at the brand, it was sort of like, oh, it's kind of like nice
3: in a way. Like, yeah, it was like the Disney of like adult content. Yes.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm so, I would be so interested to hear what you think because listening to you on Girls Next Level and just, I don't know, I follow you on social media and everything. You seem very aware about psychology and things like that. If you were to diagnose him, and I know you're not a uh-huh. doctor, but <laughs> is there, like, sex addiction? Like, it seems like this, like, insatiable hole. I know you've described him on the podcast as, as insecure. Like, that yeah. if he doesn't have women next walking next to him mm-hmm. into a party, he, like, won't go and he'll get mad if people aren't, like... So it's like, what do you think is driving those um, compulsions? Like the bedroom compulsions and the more validation, more women. Like there's obviously a hole there from his child, probably childhood. But I get really deep in the weeds on Mm -hmm. this shit. But if you have any, you know, insight or... Theories. i'd be so interested to hear
3: yeah i don't really know what the actual cause of it is like people have asked me that a lot like what in his childhood made him this way and he would have little anecdotes or stories like oh his parents weren't affectionate or oh the girl he asked to the hayride in high school turned him down or right. his Amazing. wife cheated on him right before he got married or like things like this but i don't know a- Other than I mean, I think also like success at a young age and just having people flock to him and being surrounded by yes people for so many years kind of contributes to it. But there was a huge insecurity that people just wouldn't have guessed. He was so insecure about, you know, being seen as not really sleeping with his girlfriends because when people would go talk shit, he wouldn't really care unless one of his girlfriends like went on Howard Stern and said, no, we don't really have sex that would be the be-all, end-all. Like, I remember he had a videotape of a Howard Stern interview of one of his girlfriends had gone on and said, no, we don't really sleep together, and he drew a skull on it. And, like, that was his symbol for, like, this is a fucked interview. (laughs) No way. Like, people could say all kinds of bad things about him, and And it was, like, water off a duck's back. He didn't really care. But if a girl would go out and say, no, he doesn't really have sex with his girlfriends whoa, that was wow. a
2: thing. That is so interesting.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so you also talk, I mean, obviously you were there for a long, long time yeah. at the mansion and you've kind of talked about feeling like you had a sense of like Stockholm syndrome, mm-hmm. especially with him as like a captor quote yeah, unquote for kind sure. of a thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because Obviously, you know, people that are outside of the situation, they're like, well, if it was so horrible, why'd you stay in the situation? Yeah. <laughs> and we all, if, especially if you're a true crime fan, I think we all know why a lot of people get stuck in situations mm-hmm. like that. So, can you give a little bit of
3: an insight to your situation? Yeah, I think for me, it was so easy to identify with him, not only because of like, the love bombing and just the time we spent together, but also getting back to being like not neurotypical. I had had a hard time just bonding with people throughout my life and I had never really bonded too much with, boys my own age and to be able to sit with somebody and talk about old movies that I was interested in and things like that I thought well you know what maybe this is my person because I've had so such trouble throughout my life bonding with people and to have kind of a connection with somebody like maybe this was just what was meant to be so I really felt like I was connecting with him but also because there were so many other women in that group and it was so easy to be turned against them and for all of us to be turned against each other just because everybody was so competitive in the situation and he would kind of do little things behind behind the scenes that I wasn't really aware of at the time to kind of like stoke the drama for me, it was so easy to think the problem was the other women for so many years. I just thought if everybody else was gone, we could just live in peace.
4: (laughs) But sometimes the problem was the other women. Like we talked, um, a few months ago about doing a different story possibly Mm -hmm. before, um, the ID show was in the works. And I know a lot of these people who tried to get in with Hef would then go share stuff. And I, you know, women sometimes are the problem in this situation and the things you've described on the podcast, like a lot of cruelty, Mm -hmm. like a lot of really needless, senseless, just straight up cruel stuff going on. And I think that is really hard because you were at least in the same age group as all these women. You would think that you'd all like in you and Bridget did like band Mm -hmm. together and get, what you can out of a situation that's hard. Yeah. yeah. And that didn't always happen. Yeah, that definitely
3: um not all the women were innocent for yeah. sure. And that especially made it so easy for me to be like, well, they're the problem. And he's sure. not. Yeah. He's just a nice guy who can't find the right people. <laughs> like <laughs> as stupid as that sounds, that's kind of what I bought into. Yeah. But when you're in in your life, if you have no kind of safe space or nobody in your immediate vicinity in the city you live in yeah. that you can really connect with and that's your one person and that's what you feel like is all you have because it was even a while before Bridget and I became friends and I just didn't have a friend and especially Fairy. in the time before social media and people weren't texting and it was a little bit harder to keep in touch just yeah. with people in general it just he just felt like he was my rock at the time and I didn't want to see anything wrong with him yeah
4: well you did amazing and you hand, handled yourself like a champ because Thanks. people are so mean
2: well yeah. and i watched the it was the secrets of playboy mm-hmm. i think it was called your episode on it and it was interesting because there was like two of his friends that were also on the same episode mm-hmm. and they were kind of giving the whole anecdote about like oh like i mean Hess's an amazing guy like all <laughs> yeah. we saw was like just like a generous blah blah blah, blah. like what do you think of pe- about people like that where it's like I mean, we see this happen Mm -hmm. so many times with murderers or true crime cases where it's like, you know, he was just like the best person ever, like such a great friend. And then there's this other side to people that nobody sees. And you had such an intimate Mm -hmm. relationship with him. Like you saw this other side. Like, what do you think about people kind of
3: giving that sort of feedback And saying that they knew him. Yeah. I mean, it's different depending on who says it. Like some people who come out and defend him. I'm like, no, you know, there's more going on there. You're just still trying to defend the thing because you define yourself by being a playboy friend still Mm -hmm. to this day. Right. But I think a lot of people generally genuinely didn't see that side to him because I didn't when I was at that level. When I knew him on just a buffet movie basis. I thought he was amazing. Yeah. You just don't see the other side when you're in a close relationship and when you have to look really trudge through the drama with him.
4: Well, and he makes it feel like it's he, you won a prize because you're in the mm-hmm. spot because all these other people are vying. And, and in the other women's defense, it's an, it's set up to be adversarial. Like Absolutely. none of you won. And yeah. if you had met any of those mean girls on the street under different circumstances, you probably would have gotten along fine. But like that whole situation is set up to be like, who's the prettiest? Who's the most likable? Who does half yeah. like the most? Mm-hmm. Who's the skinniest? Who's this? Who's more half's type? Who's the most this? And it's like, how are you going to get along? Yeah, it's exactly. Like well, you it's, and Bridget did.
3: Yeah, you're set up to fail. You know,
4: like there's no, there's no room for like female camaraderie when the stakes are so high
3: exactly and it's like who might get in the magazine who might be the one standing next to hef when he does this commercial Uh, yeah
4: they're all maybe not Mm -hmm. they're all like false promises anyway yeah
3: but it was just to
4: control all of you and i think he's not a stupid man i mean he built a empire that's unmatched to this day Mm -hmm. right but i mean to be that smart you're aware of kind of what you're doing and the in the control you have over people. And there's no getting around that, you know? Absolutely. Um, so I, I want to ask you about
3: like
2: how you felt when it was coming, coming to like keeping up with appearances. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who said it, but something about like tits on a stick or something like that.
3: Yes. <laughs> that's how one of his friends described Heff's type tits on a stick, yeah. like <laughs> completely skinny, but like with huge boobs.
2: <laughs> like how was that for you? It's like, you're in the spotlight, mm-hmm. you're on now a TV show. Like, you know, being a normal woman without anybody looking at you—like it's hard enough to try to like be okay with yourself. Like that is such a specific um, environment that you're living mm-hmm. in that I can't imagine how much pressure that you had to try to like keep up with the joneses in
3: a sense yeah and you know he would tell me that the reason i couldn't be in the magazine was i just wasn't photogenic (gasps) and you're just kind of like picking yourself apart like what's wrong with me because you're looking at all these other women who are getting it every month i
4: cannot fucking believe he said that to you i cannot fucking believe that that is so that makes me so mad because you're like here in person. You're one like of the most, most beautiful person. people I've ever seen. Literally. But like I had an ex once who said like that shit is meant to like reverberate in your consciousness. Forever. In yeah. Your subconscious. Like that shit hurts a long time. Oh my and God. you're constantly
3: wondering like, what's <clears throat> wrong with me? And I had dysmorphia and I always felt like I was fat and I always felt like I needed oh to diet. God. And you know what else was really strange? And Bridget and I are going to get into this when we talk about the next episode where we shoot our pictorial is. So the three of us, like the outside world would look at Hef's girlfriends and be like, you guys are clones. You all look the same. Yeah. And there's a shot in episode seven of season one of Girls Next Door where Bridget sees Kendra from a little bit of a distance. She's like, oh, Holly. Oh, wait. Sorry. I thought you were Holly. Blah, blah, blah. So like we can mistake each other for each other sometimes. But I'm telling you, in the moment when I lived there, I was made to feel like Kendra was a 10 and I was like a 5. It oh was – and now I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, she looks great. Like there's plenty of times I look at pictures in my scrapbook and I think Kendra looks the best. But there's plenty of times I think Bridget looks the best. And there's plenty of times I think I look the best. You know, it's kind of like even. But back then I was made to feel like there was so much of a disparity and like I was just barely lucky to be there. And it's just oh, crazy
4: they, looking back. All gorgeous. But you're different. Yeah, you're and different And that's people. why you can't ever look the same. But like that, oh, that really hurts like my 21-year-old self. Like being told, you're just not photogenic. I'd fucking die. I'd be like, what do I need to fix? Yeah. Yeah. Like at that time... I. All of us are so impressionable and be like, I got to fix whatever it is, especially an authority figure on beauty, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like that's that's traumatizing. traumatizing. The
2: whole world is watching you too. Like there are so many other aspects, like me thinking about myself just being like a normal person and all the pressure I put on myself, like that is just enormous for somebody to go through.
3: Yeah, for sure. And you just feel like at the mansion, you know, your entire value is just based on how you look and how compliant you are and how young you are. So it really turned into a complex. Well,
4: I listened to the episode where you talked about cutting your hair mm-hmm. and yeah. his response to that. And I was so fucking mad because I have seen photos of you. I, I vaguely remember watching the episode, episodes where you have your hair like, like you look fucking gorgeous. Thanks. You look like a bombshell. You have the face for it. You're Thanks. not like some people can't pull off a short hair. I can't. You really <laughs> did though. <laughs> Thanks. And to hear that he made you feel bad about it fucking sucks Ew, men should just yeah it was opinion. crazy
2: keep you have no hair <laughs> men have this much hair <laughs> yeah, what do you know about exactly. hairstyles? <laughs> okay so I want to ask you about okay is when you put out your first book like you're mm-hmm. actually you left the mansion and you're starting to kind of speak out yeah what was the response from people like from Hef, from people at the mansion like did you get any threats did any like was there anything scary about speaking your truth about what your experiences were.
3: I didn't get any direct threats, but I refer to like the two weeks of, of press I did like I did a week for each book because I did a book right after and the book after called the Vegas Diaries like that didn't have anything negative about anybody in it yeah but because I had just put out down the rabbit hole the year before everybody in the press treated me like I was coming out with like another book I was slim yeah, yeah exactly Click-baity. yeah because
4: and, yeah. you're good shit <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> and those
3: weeks were hell like I'm grateful for them because the books were incredibly successful and sometimes you need that kind of press to get attention but they were two of the most stressful weeks of my life, like the book came out before the Me Too movement had really gone mainstream so people didn't really understand what I was complaining about like why is the casting couch a bad thing you cooperated you know and I just when I was out doing those press tours I felt like I was a politician involved in a scandal like the questions people would ask me and just the way I was treated it was so stressful and so many women too would write think pieces that would be like on the front page of the New York Daily News the (sighs) next day and just say horrible things about me like the one on the front page of the New York Daily News, the woman called me a heifer several times in the article and tried to put me down for like working at Hooters when I was in college. And what? yeah.
4: We don't need any more think pieces. There's nothing no good that comes done. from a thing. I honestly <laughs> ever. don't care what anyone thinks. Thanks. Everyone is a <laughs> yeah. fucking critic if you've never done a single thing in your life. You can literally be sitting on a couch your whole life and criticize everyone else's ambitions. No, the people or lives. think pieces are not out yeah, there experiencing it's just, life. And you know what? Like, no, you got into that situation really fucking young. You came here, you didn't know anyone. It makes me so mad to hear some of this shit. Like, did you like, were
2: there? Cause it's like, you look back on these interviews that mm-hmm. like Britney Spears did, or like yeah. Barbara Walters doing Britney Spears. And you're like, Holy fucking shit. Like some of these questions that are being asked are so unbelievable. Yeah. Like were there any questions that stuck out in your mind that people are trying to pry or that were so unacceptable back in the day for you?
3: People would always ask really explicit sexual questions. And, so you know, we were used to it at the mansion and we had got to the point where we had like clever little comebacks like I can't remember what they were now but we would just say like cute coy little things that would just be kind of funny and cute and like on brand for playboy but the interviewers wouldn't let that rest they'd be like no so like how does it work like are you guys hooking up with each other and they it just like they wouldn't even let us let ourselves off gracefully it was rough and even when I was doing my tour for my book. You know, I remember somebody was interviewing me once and I was talking about everything that happened and they go, "Yeah, but he bought you gifts, right?" Like that just
4: excuses everything. Yeah, things <laughs> make my emotional pain go away. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you. We love
2: an emotionally abusive relationship with gifts with as yeah. being Gift like back. Yeah,
4: buy buy the love back. Like
2: no. <laughs> oh my god, that's so insane. Yeah, you're
4: amazing, by the you. way. Thank you. Because you have done so much and you have this amazing life and you have these kids and you have everything you're doing in spite of all that which is really something because I'm telling you, people get messed up over way less. (laughs) And and you're really fucking amazing. Especially to be
2: speaking out, like you said, before Me Too, before people actually took, you know, emotional abuse and all all these things kind of seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, that's got to be hard because nobody's believing you. Nobody's taking you seriously. And you're just, like, trying so hard to get your truth and your message out. And it's just kind of. I'm sure being laughed out in a sense.
3: Yeah. And you would even have other women who are in the situation who would come out and slam me and try to accuse me of lying when they saw what was going on. Well,
4: Cause they saw it as an opportunity to suck up to playboy. Yeah, so let exactly. Speak out def- let me defend playboy. Cause everybody's after the same thing. It's yeah. So they want to get back on the
3: party list or yes. whatever. It's like, they're like you guys, <laughs> but,
4: but that's the thing. It's like, when you learn that it's like everybody's agenda Everybody is, has an agenda, yeah. Everybody has an agenda unless they don't. And it's easy to tell when people are sincere or whatever. But in those situations, and that's why Playboy and your experience is so fascinating because you're dealing with like power, money, beautiful women, mm-hmm. and like ever in men on the outskirts vying for all of it. It's such a recipe for. Well like you said it's like mm-hmm. it is a social experiment. No, it's like it's Lord of like, the that Flies, is, but like it's yeah. like it's like Hunger Games. Yeah. A Playboy. It you felt know, that's like, that, like for sure. that's what it seems like because it's like the biggest room and the better mm-hmm. room and then this and like privileges you earn or privileges you lose. Go ask Hef for cash. That blew my mind. Yeah. you had to ask Hef for money even if he was busy all day Mm -hmm. you'd have to like track him down and wait outside of a meeting to try to be like can I have my allowance and I'm like what a power trip that is for him. I mean that's insane.
3: Yeah like it would have been so easy for the secretaries to just hand out an envelope of money every week. Pick it up from the office. It's so
2: hard for you. Yeah but you had to go track him down. Yeah
3: and then he would look at his little book where he'd write down notes about people and be like well you didn't do this this week or you didn't do that and it was just like whoa.
4: I need to ask about Because you can't be on your period every week to get out of it. Yeah.
1: I,
2: I need to ask about this book so it was like his little black book. Yeah. Right? And it was like he documented when he was having sex with different people, what else was he? Yeah, in everybody
3: there? who came up and I mean I don't know everything that was in that book, but he would keep track of like when everybody collected their allowance, who he had sex with each night, etc. etc. It's just gross.
2: Ew, it's so gross. Mm-hmm. And then I think you had mentioned on your podcast at some point something about like him having like a stash of like revenge porn-ish sort of things from some of the women?
3: Yeah, well, he would take pictures. He'd have a disposable camera he'd take with him every night when we went out. And he'd take pictures in the limo. And sometimes we'd be drinking or we'd be being silly and flashing or, like, posing with each other or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then he'd take pictures, like, in the bedroom or, like, in the bathtub and things like that. And this would involve people, like, women who were... From out of town, staying at the mansion, testing for Playmate. He would have pictures of them. He'd put them in a scrapbook with their full name and everything. And some of these women would not get centerfold. They'd never come back. They'd never... Like, that was just one night of nothing for them. Like, they probably look back and think that was a mistake, I would imagine. Like, what the hell was that? And then... Years later, when I was still at the mansion, he made a comment to somebody about how after he died, he was donating his scrapbooks to a library. And I was horrified. Oh my God. Because I'm like, somebody is, yeah, (laughs) because I'm like, somebody's going to see all that shit. And there's all these women who probably don't even remember being photographed. They they were so fucked up. I don't know where his scrapbooks are. Somebody told me they went to UCLA. I don't know if that's true. I mean, nobody should be, that is like, pe- nobody consented to any of those. Pictures nobody did. Taken. It's like, disgusting. Man, that should be oh
2: man. burned. Yeah. Be honest. like, that's nobody's property at this point. Yeah. Definitely not a museum. I'm so fascinated though. Um, my last question kind of like to wrap this all in a bow. Uh-huh. I'm very interested in how you felt when he died. Like you had such a complicated Mm -hmm. relationship with him. Like what did you feel like when it was all kind of over?
3: You know, what's crazy is I really had no feelings and that's because when I decided to leave him after being with him for seven years, it was because I had all these realizations at once, and just everything had been kind of crashing down on me, and I was realizing all the things I'd been trying not to see for so long. I realized that he had been pitting us all against each other when he knew how hurtful all the drama was to me, and he'd been acting innocent the whole time, and he got really verbally abusive with me during the last couple of months. I just couldn't put up with it anymore, and... I'd had all these realizations and it just kind of freaked me out because you realize this person I was with for seven years, I had an image in my mind of who this person was and who this person that I loved was. And he wasn't that at all. So when you have such a break in your mind on, wow, none of that was true that you were thinking this whole time, this is who he really is. It's almost like I started to think of him as like a robot kind of because I left And then when my spinoff show got picked up by E, I had to use the same producer that had produced Girls Next Door because they'd made us sign contracts in the last season. And in the contract, it said if E picks up a spinoff with any of these girls, they have to use the same production company. And Mm -hmm. that producer was very close with Hef. So we were still kind of tied from a distance a little bit while I was doing that spinoff show. And the producer would always try and get me to get on the phone with half like you should really talk to him do you want to talk to him and I'd like be in his office and be like I'm gonna call him right now do you want to talk to him I'm like no 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 absolutely I didn't want to like I did a couple scenes with him on my show because I felt a little more safe because the cameras were there Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to have a conversation with him it freaked me out so bad and it freaked me out because I just felt like he was just gonna say all fake shit to me it was all gonna be manipulative it was all gonna be designed to get whatever reaction he wanted out of me and that really freaked me out so I just started thinking of him almost as a robot So when he passed away, I mean, it wasn't totally unexpected because he was so old, but also I had just realized that the person I cared about didn't exist. It was all a figment of my imagination. So I didn't really feel anything. Everybody was expecting me to post things on social media. They were like condemning me for not posting, which by the way, if I had had feelings and had been mourning no one should be expected to mourn publicly like let's let's just they would have dragged you for that that on the stand if you had
4: posted they would have been like you left him you don't know now you're posting a picture there was no winning for you there you just gotta judge people for how
2: they
3: deal with (laughs) grief. exactly but like
4: you couldn't have won in that situation no
3: yeah it was crazy so oh my
4: goodness dude you're badass what,
3: a, what a wild ride! and you're
2: fucking
4: you're killing it always <laughs> thank,
2: you. thank like, you so much <laughs> we love you so much
4: and you know what those mean chicks they're not doing anything <laughs> <laughs> what's <this? laughs> well thank you so much for being here thank you we love you so much thank you are nice you.
2: thanks for having me